0: Today, the grown-ups are mostly going to be thinking about Abraham, and so our call to worship is some verses from the letter to the Romans that speak about Abraham. What was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so we come to bring our prayers of praise and thanksgiving to God which will be followed, as is our practice, by joining together in the Lord's Prayer, each in our own first language and the version we know best. So let's pray together. Holy and eternal God, we praise and thank you for the wonder of who you are, for your amazing creativity, revealed to us in the natural world And echoed in human endeavor. For your unfathomable love, glimpsed in the tenderness of intimate human relationships. For the mystery of your grace, surprising us in the unexpected and undeserved kindness of others. We praise and thank you for the wonder of redemption that despite the failures of finitude and the chosen wrong of sin, you did not and do not abandon us to the inevitable consequences, but instead choose to forgive and restore times without number. We praise and thank you that all of this finds its fullest expression in the life of Jesus born like one of us, subject to the same temptations we each face, understanding our limitations from the inside, and then defeating all that is evil and death-dealing in one perfect sacrifice. We cannot understand all of this But it does inspire us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to learn from his example, and to pray for the fulfilment of the promised kingdom, as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day, our daily and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who
1: trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but to deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom of power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Um, the first reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 17. Um, verses 1 to 7, and then on from, chapter 15, from verse 15. Listen for the word of God. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the almighty God. Obey me and always do what is right. I will make my covenant with you and give you many descendants. Abram bowed down with his face touching the ground, and God said, I make this covenant with you. I promise that you will be the ancestor of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham, because I am making you the ancestor of many nations. I will give you many descendants, and some of them will be kings. You will have so many descendants that they will become nations. I will keep my promise to you and to your descendants in future generations as an everlasting covenant. I will be your God and the God of your descendants. And from verse 15. God said to Abraham, you must no longer call your wife Sarai. From now her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will become the mother of nations and there will be kings among her descendants. The second reading is from the letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. Listen again for the word of God. Consider the experience of Abraham. As the scripture says, he believed God and because of his faith, God accepted him as righteous. You should realise then that the real descendants of Abraham are the people who have faith. The scripture predicted that God would put the Gentiles right with himself through faith. And so the scripture announced the good news to Abraham through you, God will bless the whole human race. Abraham believed and was blessed, so all who believe are blessed as he was. Those who depend on obeying the law live under a curse, for the Scripture says, "Whoever does not always obey the law, who, whoever does not always obey everything that is written in the book of the law, is under God's curse." Now it is clear that no one is put right with God by means of the law because the scripture says only the person who is put right with God through faith shall live. But the law has nothing to do with faith. Instead as the scripture says whoever does everything under the law whoever does everything the law requires will live. But by becoming a curse for us Christ has redeemed us from the curse that the law brings. For scripture says, anyone who is hanged on a tree is under God's curse. Christ did this in order that the blessing which God promised to Abraham might be given to the Gentiles by means of Jesus Christ, so that through faith we might receive the spirit promised by God. And from verse 26. It is through faith that all of you are God's children in union with Christ Jesus. You were baptised into union with Christ, and now you are clothed with the life of Christ himself. So there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles, between slaves and free people, between men and women. For you are all one in union with Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are the descendants of Abraham and will receive what God has promised. Amen.
0: Our journey through Lent this year is undertaken in the company of some of the best-known characters of the Old Testament under this heading of Promises, Promises, which I chose to reflect the fact that the majority of the lectionary passages for Lent this year relate to the various covenants God made with different people throughout the Old Testament story. Last week, those who were here will remember that we began at the beginning, retelling the first creation story in Genesis 1, and reminding ourselves that its purpose, at least in part, is to remind us of God's delight in the whole of creation. Mineral, vegetable, and animal, God declared it to be good, and God blessed it. And we also recognize the place of humankind, humanity, with that wonderful and diverse reality. The Noah government, which we focused on and symbolized by the radio, rainbow, sorry, had clearly within it the inclusion of the whole of creation, not simply the humans. God said, this is my promise to all creation, not just to the people. And therefore that has implications for our daily lives as stewards of God's good creation. As residents of the earth, entrusted with the welfare of animals, of the use of plants, and indeed the way we employ the mineral resources. We're reminded of a God who never gives up, who chooses not to wipe everything out and start all over again when things go wrong. But a God who from time immemorial gave us free will with all the potential that has for making good choices and doing wonderful things and being incredibly creative and the equal potential to mess it all up. And this God doesn't just abandon us to the inevitable consequences of those choices, this same God will. If only at the end of time we create all things, the vision of the new heaven and the new earth in the book of Revelation. This is the horizon towards which we journey. This is the long-term promise of God begun way back in the time of the story of Noah. If we read on in Genesis, we would hear next the story of the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babylon, the folly of human arrogance and the resultant confusion of language before a very, very long genealogy that culminates in the naming of the first major character in the story of the Hebrew people, Abram. If you thought the beginning of Matthew was a long list, look at the one in Genesis. It's very long. The book of Genesis is very complicated, and anybody who reads it seriously and carefully will soon discover that it's a composite work, skillfully, mostly, but sometimes not so skillfully, weaving together anything up to four different strands of writing that began in an oral tradition. And sometimes multiple versions of the same story seem to be told from slightly different perspectives. Now, whether or not you buy into the hypothesis of Yahwist, Elohist, priestly and Deuteronomist sources, go research them if you want to find out more, it is actually quite easy to see that it's not just one simple, straightforward, single-author account from beginning to end. We see the same sorts of things being said slightly differently. And there are certainly various references to the covenant made with Abram, later called Abraham, of which we heard one read for us this morning. The story begins in Ur, which is here, when, i oh sorry, I can't, so in the, in the land of the Chaldeans, which I think is, is um, i forgot sort of Babylon area, in the Babylonia area, where somebody called Terah takes his son Abram and his and Lot, and Abram's wife, sorry, his brother Abram, his son Lot, and Abram's wife Sarah, and they set off for Canaan, reaching Haran, where they settle, and Terah lives out the rest of his life. So they begin over here, and they go all the way up here to Haran, and that's where they settle to start with. After Terah dies... Abraham, who Abram, sorry, who by now is very wealthy and has a lot of slaves, senses that God is calling him to travel onwards to Canaan. And so they set off from Haran all the way down the coast, down in this sort of direction, and they arrive at Shechem, which is there, where they, they, there's a sacred oak tree, and, and that's where they settle for a while. And this is the first time we hear Abram hear a promise from God. God promises Abram that his descendants will inhabit the land of Canaan, a land already occupied by an indigenous people. But for a while, they sort of settle down there. Abram, Sarai, and Lot, and all their, their slaves and their entourage live a nomadic land in this southern part of Canaan. And then there's a famine. So they leave here. And they head off into the north of Egypt. Now when they get to Egypt, Abram is rather concerned for his self-preservation. And so he says to Sarai, now what I want you to do is to pretend that you're my sister. Because you're very beautiful and if they see that I'm your husband, they'll kill me. So he passes her off as his sister. And sure enough, Pharaoh thinks she's a bit of all right. And she gets taken off to Pharaoh's palace. And Abram is given lots of sheep and cattle and camels and slaves. It's not long, however, before the deception comes to light. And so they are expelled from Egypt. By now, both Abram and Lot are very wealthy. And they've got so much um, by way of animals and and slaves and things, it's getting a bit tense the the slaves are starting to squabble and they realise that they probably need to go their own separate ways and so Abram says to Lot, right, okay you can choose where you're going to go and I'll go somewhere else, so uh, Lot had a look around and he said, well I quite fancy the area um, in the Jordan Valley thank you all, all the same, so he went off somewhere around about here near Zohar, close to the place you probably have heard of, called Sodom. Whereas Abram decided to settle up here in Hebron, on the halfway up the side of the the Dead Sea. Lots happens in the book of Genesis after this. There's all sorts of events. Groups of kings form alliances. There are battles going on for many, many years. And at the end of it, Abram needs to rescue Lot. In a vision, God promises Abram a great reward. But to Abram, this just seems futile. The only heir he's got is Eliezer, who lives in Damascus. And he just says to God, well, what's the point of this? What's the point of me having lots of wealth and possessions if there's no one to pass it on to? So God says to Abram, come outside and look up at the sky. Now count the stars. Because that is how many descendants you'll have. And in a further dream, a uh, future slavery is, prophes- is predicted that sounds remarkably like the, what happened to the Israelites in Egypt. But Abram is promised that his descendants will eventually occupy the whole land. The story goes on, and it doesn't get a whole lot more um, good, really. We hear next the story of Sarai giving her slave girl, Hagar, to Abram, Abram, with the terrible consequences leading to the pregnant slave girl running away. But in that desert, when the slave girl, Hagar, runs away, an angel appears to her and makes her a promise very similar the one made to Abram the promise to Hagar is I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude Hagar's son and Hagar's son's descendants remain somehow part of that story of Abram and then finally we reach the bit that was read for us by Holly The story in which Abram and Sarai have their names changed and the covenant promise Abram will be the father of many nations is made. The promise that Sarah would finally become pregnant and that the visible sign of the covenant would be male circumcision. Had we time to read on, we would have discovered more twists and turns, more troublesome material and more evidence that several storytellers are at work here. But at the heart of the story is a promise to Abram. To a man who was successful materially, he was wealthy, he had lots of slaves, but he had no direct heir. All that he had worked so hard for would be lost when he died. And it was to him that came this enigmatic and multi-layered promise of descendants so numerous that no one could count them, that he would be the father of a nation, that he would be the father of many nations. So why this story? And has the promise found its fulfillment? And what, if any, message does it have to us today? If we carried on reading the Old Testament story, what we would see, rather than expansion to embrace many nations, is a steady narrowing of the focus, a ratcheting of the rules so that less and less people could be seen as in, and that what it meant to be a descendant of Abraham was more and more narrowly defined. It seems to be going the other way so was the promise broken? Or was it in fact a lie? Or did the people just not understand? Or was it something else altogether? Well, I don't believe that the promise was broken. I think it still holds good. I certainly don't think it was a lie. I'm pretty sure that people didn't understand it and I have a sneaky suspicion that nothing much has changed. The promise to Abram, the wealthy, successful, airless nomad, that he would have so many descendants they couldn't be counted, that he would be the forebear of many nations, is fully realized only in eschatological perspective. In that same vision of the New Jerusalem, where, the writer tells us, are people of every language, tribe, and nation, united in wonder, love, and praise in the presence of God. That is the culmination, the fulfillment of that promise. Until then, the journey carries on, and we, like the first Christians, have to wrestle with what on earth that might all mean, and what it might have to say to us. There are three New Testament letters that focus attention on Abraham and the covenant made with him Romans in chapter 4, which we use part of as our call to worship, Galatians chapter 3, which Holly read to us from, and the book of Hebrews in chapters 6, 7, and 11. And one of the key threads that runs through all of these letters is the faith that Abraham exhibited. Reading the Genesis accounts, there is no doubt whatsoever that Abraham was a very flawed human being. Sometimes what he did was at best suspect and frankly, probably downright wrong. And yet, despite that, despite all that happened to him, some of it which wasn't very nice, despite long years of struggle and disappointment when there still was no child, he hung on in there. He had no clue how God's promise could ever find fulfillment, but he never quite gave up hoping. Every night, if he looked up and saw the stars, he was reminded. If he stood on the sand on the shore, he would remember the promise. It takes a lot of determination to keep on believing sometimes. Especially when experience seems to suggest that your faith is misdirected. But Abraham kept on believing. Maybe that's something we could take away today. A second thread is the relation to the law and its requirement for male circumcision. And this was a huge challenge to the emerging Christian movement, which included both Jews and Gentiles, who would come to follow the way of Jesus. The writer or writers go to huge lengths to make their case. The law was given to Moses, but that came umpteen centuries after the promise to Abraham. And so it can't overrule the promise. The promise came first. And circumcision, which was the sign given to Abraham, is secondary to the promise. It's not that the symbol enact the promise, it's not that this is a necessary thing to be included in the promise, for which we're all very grateful rather it symbolized something that already was. And as the early church tried to work out its relationship to Judaism, immense time and energy seems to have gone into trying to understand how do we understand the covenant with Abraham in our own time? It's a huge challenge, huge challenge. You read those three letters, and the verbal gymnastics they get themselves into has to be read to be believed. It's incredibly complicated. But there was the sense, there was the belief that this promise had something good in it, and that the scope of the promise could not be defined by race or by ritual. Maybe there is something there for us about a willingness to, to work with and wrestle with those things that are challenging rather than just give up and say, oh, well, I don't understand that, and it seems a bit barbaric or whatever. So Abraham kept on. The early church wrestled with it. But finally, in all three letters, is a clear link between the Abraham covenant and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Despite everything that had happened in the intervening centuries, despite everything that suggested it was not so, God's promise still stood. Descendants as numerous as the stars or the grains of sand, born not of human will, but mysteriously and wonderfully by incorporation to the body of Christ. The Galatians passage speaks of the intrinsically inclusive nature of baptism into Christ. An inclusion that negates any and every human category that divides. And by way of example it uses binary categories consistent with a dualistic worldview. And the writer boldly asserts that these distinctions have no meaning now. Jew or Gentile. Racial, tribal, national, ethnic distinctions, the language you speak, the accent with which you speak it, it's irrelevant. Gone. Slave or free? Status, wealth, education, ambition, or lack of those, that's rejected. We're not having those. That's not what it's about. Male and female. The one that is expressed using and and not or. But actually that little word change is really significant. Reflecting the complex and ambiguous nature of gender distinctions. It's not a neat binary thing. Gender is a spectrum. And all of that is just not to be bothered with. It's not what it's about. The descendants of Abraham... The heirs of the promise of God are not and cannot be defined by human categories. So whether you're straight or whether you're gay or somewhere in between, whether you're English or whether you're Scottish, whether you like rugby, whether you hate rugby, whatever it is, whoever you are, you are included in this promise of Abraham. The promise that we are the heirs of God. And we anticipate that eschatological vision of revelation. People of every tribe and every nation. Every definable people group. And the ones we haven't yet defined. Together, worshipping God. If the Noah covenant reminded us of our moral responsibility to the natural world, then the Abram covenant reminds us of our attitudes towards those We may instinctively recognize as other, and the assertion of the early church that in Christ all such distinctions are destroyed. Perhaps actually we're back at the rainbow, the image of a church of many colors in which diversity is celebrated and difference expected. A church in which ancient promises and future visions are held in a creative tension that allows everyone to find their place. But here's the challenge to recognize and respect the place of others too. I wonder if Abraham walked into Hillhead Baptist Church this morning and looked around to us in our diversity, our complexity. I wonder how far he'd feel we were doing in living out that promise of God. That promise that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars, as numerous as the sand on the shore. For as we sang with the children... Father Abraham has many kin, sons and daughters. We are all part of that. So we all together praise the Lord. Amen.
2: On the journey of life, we find God walking alongside as though knowing where we are going, travelling with both our uncertainties and our certainties, with our questions and with our fears, and opening for us a wisdom from the one who knows the journey and who understands changing times. So let us pray. And let us give thanks first for the moments when we catch glimpses of the promises of God's grace. When, in a moment of insight, we grasp a way to re-express new hope for changing days. And so we pray for our world, that the promise of new hope may emerge expressed in new ways. In Ukraine, that our common humanity may be reaffirmed as those of goodwill seek to re-express for changing days treasured histories of culture and language. in Israel-Palestine, that our common humanity may be reaffirmed as those of goodwill seek to re-express for changing days the treasured promises of land and prophecy. in the lands that we know as Syria, Iraq, Kurdistan, Kashmir, Nigeria. That in our common humanity, it may be reaffirmed as those of goodwill seek to re-express for changing days. The treasures shared in common between faiths And the aspirations for political determination. And here we pray for ourselves that the promise of new hope may emerge, expressed in new ways. That we may listen for God speaking in new ways, in us and through others. That we may live in solidarity with the powerless. That we may become more compassionate. That we may embrace our experience. But also transcend our prejudices. The God who called Abraham and Sarah still calls us to a covenant of faith. The God who led his people by the hand still calls us to follow. The God who walked the road to wood and nails still calls us to serve and to turn our prayers to action. O Lamb of God, I come.
0: Lead us on, gracious God, from this place of reflection and refreshment to the reality of a world in need of hope. And may we who carry within us the vision of a reconciled creation be bringers of good news to those we meet this week and always.